0: You would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17. If you were already in Genesis, keep your thumb there. We're going to go back. But Genesis 1 is not hard to find. It's at the beginning. Genesis means beginnings. <laughs> uh, could somebody do me a favor and pull this microphone down just a wee bit? I might have to get rowdy. No, not really. <laughs> no, but it's just on the verge of ringing. I feel, and I don't want to do that. Uh, we are going to be uh, continuing our our study through the book of Acts, but we've come to this time in Acts 17 uh, where Paul is speaking at the Areopagus. He's speaking to these Athenians, and and that's how we get to Genesis one. In in our study. So I'd like to pick up there uh, in Acts 17 and read verses 23 to 25 to to take us into our message today. Acts 17, 23 to 25. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Great God and creator of all things, we come before you asking that you would bless your people. Bless your word to your people. Lord, we pray that in the preaching of the word of God, we would hear this morning the voice of Christ, our Savior. Guide us. Will you guide us, please, in in your word? Will you sanctify us by your word? God, help us to believe what you have said. Help us to judge all things. All things in this world, all things that we think we know, by the measure of Scripture. God, we pray this this morning in the name of Christ for the edification of your church. Amen. Here in Acts 17, Paul introduces his audience to the God of the Bible. And he says that, This God is a God not served by human hands. He needs nothing. Nothing is given to him. Nothing is owed to God. Paul says that here, but there are other places in Scripture that we see, and we've been reading in Job, in our first reading for the last couple of weeks, how God is pointing out that that you are not God. Job is not God. <laughs> Only He is God. And we looked at this last week and we saw that God needs nothing. God receives nothing for His existence. He exists in and of Himself. And we said we, we use the term ase to describe that. And we, we connected God's aseity last week to Genesis 1 1 saying, before the world was, before anything was, God is. And if you think that's poor English, you need to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. Before anything was, God was, is wrong. God God never is in the past tense. God is in the present tense. Before anything was, God is. So Paul points out, and, and points out from the very outset with these Athenians, That it was God, the God of Scripture, who made the world and all things in it. So today I want to drill down into that. It's God who made the world and all things in it. And we're going to do that by considering the Genesis 1 account of creation. So that's where we'll be for the remainder of our time together. Genesis chapter 1. And we've just had that read in our hearing. So we'll just pick up here. Paul, Paul is making this assertion to the Athenians. God made the world. And this was to them a new concept. I'm just reminding you of the, the mindset and the thought pattern of these Athenians. They were polytheistic in their lives, in their thinking. That means they believed in many gods. Many gods who had power over certain realms, over certain areas of the world, God's over this part or that part, but but they knew, they knew nothing of a God who made everything and who had all power. And that is the God that we worship, that is the God of the Bible, the God who made everything and the God who has all power. Now if you'll remember, Paul is making this argument to them in Acts 17 in Athens, but if you'll remember back in Acts 14, when Paul was with Barnabas at Lystra, those people were also polytheistic. That's the time where where they came out and worshipped Paul and Barnabas, thinking they were God's And Paul stopped them and and he preached the gospel to them. And he said that they should turn from these vain idols and turn to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. So Paul has made this argument before that it is God who has created all things. So introducing God as creator of all things to a pagan people, though it may seem odd to our ears, though it may be offensive to some, to our contemporary sensitivities, this was not a new thing to Paul. Paul found it quite normal to speak of God as creator. Creator. God as the creator of all. Perhaps it seems odd to our modern ears because we know in our day, most people don't believe that God made the world and all things in it. I don't think, I don't think, by the way, there will be anything brand new to you today. I don't think there'll be anything new, and I don't think I'm I'm giving you any news when I say most people in this world do not believe that God made the world and all things in it. Most people deny that God is creator. But the same could have been said of the Athenians in Paul's day. Very few, if any, of those Athenians believed. That God made the world, but it didn't stop Paul from saying this is the truth. And this is important for us to note. We may think that today in 2022, so many people deny God as creator because of the modern advancements and discoveries of science. People just know that science has proven that God is not creator. Well, note here in Acts 17 and in Acts 14, these people are not scientific. These people are what we might call very religious and superstitious. They are people who believe in many gods, all of the panoply of gods that they have. And those people, in their ignorance, would deny the God of the Bible as creator of the world in favor of keeping their own beliefs. If you remember, especially the Epicureans believed that the world existed as an accident of atoms. Things just happened as the result of random chance over time. That's what those ignorant people believed so long ago. Now, today, after 2,000 years of learning and science all the things that science and learning has done for mankind over this 2,000 years, most men today still deny that God, the God of the Bible is creator of the world and instead hold to a belief for most people that the world that exists today is the result of random chance over a long period of time. We believe the same thing that those pagan polytheistic folks so long ago believed. But we are duped by thinking, well, no, it's science. It's truly shocking. As we, as we think about those who deny that God is creator, we don't have to go outside Christendom. We don't have to go outside the church to find those who deny the Genesis 1 biblical account. Christian pastors, scholars, church leaders, prominent people in Christendom today deny the Genesis account of creation. The thought occurs to me that there are likely some Here this morning, some listening to this sermon, and you are a professed Christian perhaps. Perhaps you count yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ and one who believes the Bible, but you have not believed the Genesis account because you've adopted this belief in evolution. Please allow me this morning to encourage you to pay close attention, to listen. Don't just hear what this preacher is saying and shut me out and shut me off because you can't believe that someone is still so arcane to believe such a thing. Listen to what the word of God says. Listen to the message that God Is the creator of the world and everything in it, and he created all these things in the space of six days. One major hang up for many people who, and many Christians who buy into evolution, but by some, and when I say evolution, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't believe that version of evolution. I believe theistic evolution, or I believe a gap theory, or I believe a framework theory, I'm grouping all of those things together. If your idea of how the world got here involves millions and millions of years, I'm just grouping that under one category, evolution, one major hang it. The reason I'm doing that is not to say that all those people believe exactly the same thing, but you know what all of those, all of those things have in common? They deny Genesis chapter 1. They deny the first words of the Bible. One one major hang-up for people is that we've been taught the fiction of evolution as though it were fact. We're taught it in school. And I've been using the term the theory of evolution, but we've dropped that. We just say the science of evolution. And we've been taught this fiction as though it were fact as though it were science. And the religious zealots who campaign for evolution, because they are religious zealots, they tell us that anyone who would even consider that there is a God who created the universe in six days, that person must be insane. That person must be crazy, denying reality. Then because the lies are so rampant, they're everywhere around us. Some have tried to find a way. Well, I want to hold on to my Bible. I want to believe the scripture. So they have tried to find a way to believe the science and the Bible. So how do we do that? How can we do that? We find the way to believe the Bible looking through the lens of, that science provides. There are two ways of looking at the world. There are two ways that we might go about this. One is viewing the Bible through science. That's what so many people see. Let's look at the Bible, but we're going to judge it by science. The other way is to view science through the Bible, to look at science and say, let's judge science by what the scripture says. That's what we should be doing, Christians. That's what Christians do. We are people of the book, and the book is our rule. Let's consider this for a moment. How is it that some look at the Bible through the lens of science, while we Christians look at science through the lens of the Bible? Evolutionists see things in the world around us, things that we don't deny. They see the formation of fossils And they determine there's only one way for fossils to exist. And this requires millions and millions of years. And they never offer any consideration. They never give any credence for any other explanation of how fossils might exist. Let's just say, like a worldwide flood came and destroyed all of mankind, except for eight people who were saved on an ark and caused unreproducible effects on the earth. Things that cannot be redone. And it won't be redone. The earth was destroyed by water in a flood once. And that will never happen again. And you should remember that every time you see a rainbow in the sky, the next time the world will be destroyed by fire. God willing, Pastor Brent and I will have the opportunity to travel uh, this spring to our national associational meeting. And it will be much closer to the Grand Canyon than we live. And we're going to have the opportunity, we hope, we plan, to take our wives and go and stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and peer into that giant hole in the ground. We'll see as we stand there, layers, layers formed in the rock. And the evolutionist who may stand next to us will say, this happened because of a little bit of water over a long, long time. And we'll stand there, you've got to help me remember, we'll stand there and say, this happened because of a whole lot of water over a relatively short period of time. Those who claim to follow science and those who teach the science are often not honest about what the science says, what the science means. The study of science, and by the way, I'm not opposed to science, we're going to talk about Two different uses for the term science. I've been using it in two different ways, and we're going to talk about two different uses, but I'm not opposed to science. But the study of science was never intended to produce this type of information about the origin or the age of the universe. And science is not capable of providing theories or establishing absolute facts, certain certainty of facts about the origin of the universe. Science, by definition, is not absolute certainty. Science, by definition, is not certainty. Listen to this quote from a online astrophysics website. A scientific theory is empirical. Now, maybe you're like me and you gotta look that up. Empirical. That means it comes through observation and experimentation. It's things that we see and observe through experimentation. A scientific theory is empirical. It comes through observation and experimentation and is always open to falsification if new evidence is presented. That is, no theory is ever considered strictly certain because science accepts the concept of fallibility. The philosopher of science, Karl Popper, sharply distinguishes truth from certainty. He writes that scientific knowledge consists in the search for truth, but it is not the search for certainty. Popper said all human knowledge, all scientific human knowledge, is fallible and therefore uncertain. Now, I found this website, and it is in no way a Christian website. This is a scientific website, and they're telling us what science is and how we should see science, and it is absolutely not certain. What this means is that science never claims to be and never can have absolute, inerrant, infallible truth. Real science never claims infallibility. Science is the best view of the facts that we know at a given time. And science has required over the years and decades and centuries and millennia. Science has required many adjustments and corrections. Science has purported things like bloodletting, like leeches used for medical treatment. Science has taught that the liver in the body is the blood pumping organ The liver. And science has proclaimed that airplane flight is an absolute impossibility. But these things, along with thousands of other things, have been proven to be false when new discoveries are made. Science has never been. And never will be an exact science. We use that term, right? Well, it's an exact science. Well, science is not an exact science. Follow the science. This is a call for people to buckle up for a roller coaster ride of new discoveries and proving old theories wrong. Real science does not claim to ever have absolute, inerrant, infallible truth. Now, there is a pagan religion that goes by the name science. And I'm distinguishing here between science that we study and we we believe and we follow and we work at with a lowercase s. And science, a pagan religion with a capital S. There is a pagan religion that goes by the name science that does claim infallibility. That pagan religion called science is what you hear on your television. It's what you see on so many science channels coming into your home. It's what we read in many textbooks And it's when they say, you can believe anything, but you cannot believe a six day creation. You're hearing a religious zealot. You are not hearing a scientist. True science does not claim to have absolute, inerrant, that is without error, infallible. That means it does not fail truth. The Bible, on the other hand, does. The Bible does claim to be exact, precise. Here's just a few places, Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Second Samuel seven twenty eight. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. As Paul spoke of God as the creator who made all things in the world, the world and all things in it. Let us go back now to the Genesis account which was read in our presence and ask this one question. Does the Bible really say that the whole of creation was completed in six literal days? As we understand days. Or is there room in scripture for some other interpretation? Is there room in scripture for millions and millions of years? Can we believe the Bible and believe evolution? Can this idea of theistic evolution, that is taking evolution and slapping God's name on it, this idea of theistic evolution, can it fit in the pages of scripture? That would be the idea that God created, but in order to create, he used random chance and survival of the fittest and millions and millions of years to bring all things into existence. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. Some between Genesis 1 verse 1 and 1 verse 2, some have inserted a gap there. I use the term gap because they call it the gap theory. Some of you may be familiar with the Schofield Bible, the Schofield Study Bible, which has been popular in America for a long, long time. 50 years is not enough time. More than 50 years. The Schofield Study Bible puts a gap in its notes between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. Those who hold to this false Teaching The gap theory is a false teaching. Those who hold to this false teaching say that God would not make something that was not perfect. And verse two says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. So that's not perfect. So therefore there must have been some time something happened between in the beginning God created and the earth was without form and void. And there they say that sin and death And some evolutionary process has damaged original creation because God made it perfect. But we need to ask, is that what's here? Is that what's here? Uh, Formless and void, does that mean that God made something fallen and, and broken? Formless and void does not mean ruined or damaged by sin or ruined and damaged by millions of years Formless and void just tell us that God didn't complete everything right on day one. Formless. Its form, the form of it was not completed day one. He hadn't divided the water from the water. He hadn't divided the water from the land. He hadn't divided the light from the darkness. He hadn't made the sun, moon, and star. It was formless, meaning the form of it was not completed. And it was void. What does void mean? Empty. It was empty. Not yet filled as it would be on the end of day six. This gap theory places the creation of humans much later than the beginning. In the beginning God created, then there was all this stuff, and then verse 2, the earth was formless and void, and then we come to the rest of the chapter where God makes all these other things and makes man. But if we consider Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 6, it says, but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation. This means that according to Mark, there's no room for a gap here because Adam and Eve were made from the beginning of creation. Just a few days after let there be light, God created man and woman. So if Genesis is reliable, and if Mark is reliable, then the gap theory cannot be true there could still be, surely there could still be room for evolution. Surely there's still room for millions and millions of years in the rest of this account. Could day, in Genesis chapter 1, could the word day mean a vast spance of time that allows for the Bible to be true and for the scientific, capital S, scientific teaching of evolution to stand? Let's consider the word day. The word day is used over 2,300 times in the Old Testament, and the overwhelming majority of the times it means day. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. I'll slow down. Day means day, a solar day, a day of approximately 24 hours. Of all the times that the word day is used in the Old Testament, any time it is used with a number, first day, second day, third day, day one day, two day, three, any time it's used with a number, without exception, it means a 24-hour solar day, without exception. And any time the word day is used in the Old Testament 2,300 times, any time that it is used with Night, or morning, or evening, or a combination like evening and morning. Anytime, it means a solar day of approximately 24 hours. So that's how the word day is used throughout the Old Testament. But let's look here in Genesis and see if God has given us a hint of what he might have meant when he uses the word day. Genesis 1. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Then God said let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. There's a use. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. One day. The light. God called day. Now let me tell you, Christians, clearly this does not mean a solar day of 24 hours. Do you see that? Clearly it means the daylight portion of a day. Because the daylight he called day and the night, the darkness, he called night. So it doesn't mean a 24 hour day. It means a portion of the day when it was light. So there's a use in Genesis 1 where the word day does not mean 24 hour day. It means less than a 24 hour day. So He called the day, he called the light day and the darkness he called night. But then we see at the end of verse 5 evening and morning and then we see a number and then the use of the word day. Evening and morning And the number. If we see evening and morning with the word day, it means 24 hours. If we see a number with the word day, it means 24 hours. If we see evening and morning and a number, it's like God is saying, get this. It's 24 hours. Get this. It's a solar day. Now we see that in verse five. But could there be a pattern in the remainder of the verses? So very quickly, look at verse eight. Evening, morning, number, day. Verse 13, evening, morning, number, day. Verse 19, evening, morning, number, day. Verse 23, evening, morning, number, day. Y'all getting tired of this yet? Verse 31, evening, morning, number, day. Guess what? It means a 24-hour solar day. That's what the Bible says. You don't have to believe that. You can say the Bible is untrue. You can say that God lied. But you can't. You can't believe God. And. Believe evolution. God's trying to show us here. That it's a 24 hour solar day. So many. Tell us that the word day cannot in chapter one mean day. But not one person comes with that assertion because of the Hebrew language, because of anything in the text of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. There is nothing in the Bible that would lead us to say that this day does not mean a 24-hour day. The evidence from Scripture is clear. Now some quick Bible student might say, I know it's none of you, but someone might say, but couldn't a day be a thousand years? Doesn't the Bible say that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years? Doesn't it say that? I hope none of you are such poor students of the Scripture that you fall for this line of thinking. But it might seem reasonable at first glance though yeah it does the bible does say with the lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day well if we if we buy into that first of all we've got six days here so if we do the math that only gets us to 6000 years and and here's the thing 6000 years doesn't even come close to giving us enough time for evolution. As a matter of fact, I've been using the term millions and millions of years and no scientist believes in millions and millions of years because millions and millions of years, 999 million years is not enough time for evolution. Today, they use billions and billions It's beyond what we can even think, beyond what we can fathom. The the current, the current estimate, the current lie is 13.6 billion years, 13.6 billion years. The reason I call it the current lie is because I see deception there. We can barely imagine a million years, much less a billion years. But if they say it with a decimal, it sounds like science. If we say it's 13.6, not 13.5, not 13.7, 13.6, then now we've got fact. And I think this is deceptive. We're supposed to take that bait because it sounds so precise. They're using billions of years, but brothers and sisters, I predict that if the Lord tarries his coming and if capital S, the religion of science, maintains their their love of evolutionary thought, they will have to go from billions to quadrillions to quintillions, I don't even know if those are real numbers. They'll have to go to more and more and more, why? Because evolution does not happen. Evolution does not happen. Minor adaptations within a species, sure. We see that, that's real science. That the beak of the bird can grow a quarter of an inch over a long period of time, sure. But that an amoeba eventually turns into a person. How long does that take? Billions, quadrillions? There's there's no amount of time. I listened to an interview of, of three scientists who stated scientifically and mathematically that the whole Darwinian evolutionary theory is absolutely absurd. One of these scientists, I couldn't tell, but the other two, two of the three scientists, were absolutely not religious and far from being Christian in any way. They denied intelligent design Saying, I don't want to go there. But this theory of evolution that we're teaching, that is such, and by the way, they called it a religion. This theory of evolution that we're teaching absolutely cannot be. Those scientists were just being honest and they were saying, if we truly follow the science, if we truly follow the science, You must abandon evolution as it is presented today in every classroom, on every campus, across our country, and around the world. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we ask this question. Does day really mean day? Could day mean anything else? In the Bible, day means day. Sometimes it means a work day. Sometimes it means the daylight portion of a day. Sometimes it means an entire 24-hour period of a day. And sometimes it means a longer period of time, like back in my day or in the day of Noah. But if you have your Bibles open, look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Now, we already saw an example in verse 5 of chapter 1 where the word day meant a portion of a day. Chapter two, verse four, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now here's the word day, and it obviously to us should mean more than a day. Back in the day when God took six days to make everything, that's what we should read here. Back in the day when God took six days to make everything. But, but some have looked at this verse and they, and they look at the power and authority of God. And back in Martin Luther's day, back in Martin Luther's day, they used to think that God actually made the world in a single 24 hour period. Because it says here, in the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So God could make the world in a single 20. Could God have done that? He could have. The real question, the real question we should be asking is not, how could God make the world and all things in it in the space of six days? But why did it take so long? Why did it take so long? How quickly could God have made it with a snap of a finger? Well, it wouldn't have taken that much effort. He could have made everything without a word. He could have made, but he chose to make it in this way. Light and darkness were created. Light is called day, darkness is called night. Then evening, the transition from light to darkness, from day to night. Then morning, the transition from night to day. From darkness to light. Verse five leads us with the idea that God created the earth. He created light. Separated it from darkness. And this was done in one day. And each day of this account in Genesis one describes a day as the kind of day that has a morning and an evening. Evolution requires us to believe, even theistic evolution, that what God made was not good enough. Not good enough. But as we read this, I mean, we had this read in our hearing and we've looked here, does it say creation was pretty good? It was all right. Does it say that it was close enough? That'll be be good enough to get by. Good. Verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, God saw that it was good. And then verse 31, it's very good. Capital S Science with its theory of evolution requires us to say that what God called good, we say Not good enough. Not good enough. In the next place, we note that God established things in the heavens which rule over and determine our calendar. So this is going to answer the question, why did God take so long? Why did he take six days and then rest another day? God established our calendar from creation. A day is one revolution of the Earth on its axis. One one spin. That's a day. A month is is related to the Earth's relation to the moon. A year is the Earth's uh, the time it takes the Earth to make one trip around the sun. All those things based on what God has made, and they determine our calendar. Oh, we left something out. We left out the week, the seven-day week. Now, what is the basis for having a week made of seven days? There's only one basis, and there's nothing in creation. There's only the account of creation that gives us a seven-day week. Genesis chapter 1. Some have suggested that any person who lives their life and orders their life according to a seven day week, in some way it's giving credence to the Genesis account of six 24 hour days. Because if God created the earth in six million years and then rested one million years, that gives us nothing. That doesn't give us a week. It's only because God created the earth in six days and rested one day that we have a Seven day week. How many Christians, how many Christians today give no thought to the Sabbath? Give no thought to the fact that God has given us one day in seven as a day of rest. Today, for many, is not a day of rest established by God in creation. It's no wonder that so many Christians ignore the Sabbath day of rest when we realize that long ago, so many of them have denied a six-day creation and a day of rest. God established a seven-day week in creation. Six work days, one rest day. And science, it's not exact. Science can never come to a six-day creation. Science Real science, true science, is based on observation. And if you weren't there, you didn't observe. Only one was there, and he's given us his, his account. Science can never observe six-day creation. I hope it becomes obvious that no one who comes to the Bible sees Millions and millions of years, unless their minds have already been polluted by that before they come. Science has denied six day creation. So Christians have to add to the Bible by inserting millions and billions of years to the pages of scripture. How many of you are okay with adding to the Bible? That's what we do when we insert millions and billions of years, because Science says six days of creation is impossible. So what do we do if science says six day creation is impossible? By the way, can we just agree six day creation is impossible with men? Six day creation is impossible with some natural evolutionary process? It's impossible. What would we call this? Miraculous creation. From God. So, what if science doesn't support six days? What are we going to do? Are we going to believe science or are we going to believe the Bible? What are we going to do? We've got to make that decision. And many people say, well, I'm going to believe science and I'll just take Genesis chapters 1 through 11. We'll just pretend they're not there or we'll pretend they're a storybook. And we'll just hold to the rest of the Bible. We'll just hold to the rest of it. So science doesn't agree with Genesis chapters 1 through 11. So let's throw that out and we'll believe the rest of the Bible. And then we're going to come to John chapter 2 and we're going to read about Jesus turning water into wine. We're going to go to Mark chapter 4 and we're going to read how Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves. And the storm stopped and the sea was calm as glass. What's science going to do with that. We're going to go to the Gospels and we're going to read about a virgin girl giving birth. We're going to go to the end of the Gospels and we're going to read about a man who died and was buried and he rose again from the grave. if science is going to cause you to throw out the Genesis account of creation, then you must then reject the tenets of Christianity in which we place our faith. If the world was not created in six days, then friends, the Bible is not to be trusted. Those who deny the six-day account in Genesis chapter one will soon reject a global flood. And whether knowingly or unknowingly, you will render the Bible worthless. As an important example, evolution, whether theistic or scientific or whatever, evolution absolutely requires that death was in the world before the Genesis account. This is foundational to that Teaching. But the Bible tells us that death did not come into the world until Adam sinned. Romans 5.12 It says, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Well, did all men sin in Adam? Is this Romans 5 true then Adam must be a real historical figure a historical man the first man created by God death was brought into the world through sin as stated in Genesis 3 and death did not exist before man's sin before the fall if there was no death The whole evolutionary idea has to go out the window. Millions and millions of years require death. And it would mean that death did not enter the world through one man's sin. And the book of Romans cannot be trusted, especially this chapter five. It's inaccurate and it's unreliable. But if we can't believe Romans about the introduction of sin and death into the world, then how can we place our faith in the same chapter of scripture that proclaims that Jesus, the God man, brings life to all who would believe on him? By one man, sin comes into the world. And by one man, the God-man, we have salvation. And if we can't believe the one part in Romans 5, how can we believe the other? In the Garden of Eden, you'll remember Satan stated to Eve, he said something like this, Hath God said, Hath God said, Did God really say that? Satan planted seeds of doubt in Eve's mind about God's word. And beloved, this is what Satan is still doing today with this teaching of evolution. Theistic evolution, gap theory, framework evolution, or capital S science, Satan is saying to you, hath God said? Did God really say six days? And then we try to find a way to say that God didn't mean what he said. This makes God a liar. Beloved, let me close by reading to you from Romans chapter five. The place that teaches us that death came through sin. That death came through the sin of Adam. About 6,000 years ago. Shortly after the six day creation. And the day of rest. For while we were still helpless. At the right time. Christ died. For the ungodly. But God demonstrated his own love. Toward us. in that while we were sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified. By his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God. Through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Verse 18. So then as through one transgression, one sin there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace will reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As Paul declared to the Athenians at the Areopagus in chapter 17, I declare to you today the God who made the world and all things in it. And just as he has told us in his word, the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd apply these things to our hearts. We pray that where we may have in ignorance or, or some other motive held, held to a belief that was contrary to your word, God, we pray for forgiveness. We thank you that we have forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would strengthen our faith in your word from Genesis all the way through. We pray that you apply these things to our hearts. We pray that you sanctify sinners, sanctify your people, bring salvation to sinners in Jesus' name.